So this morning, we are continuing our series in the book of the first seven chapters of the book of Acts. And Acts focuses completely on how the Holy Spirit expanded the early church, took the gospel from 120 so people meeting up upper room to millions worldwide. And the gospel being the good news that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Now today, we're gonna talk about how the Holy Spirit spreads the gospel through healing, through healing. Every one of us in our lives at some point have hoped or prayed for healing, either for ourselves or for somebody that we love. It could be healing from sickness, disease, cancer, a a, a disability, some type of syndrome. It could be something that someone did to us. It could be an accident that happened to us. It's something we're born with. There could be no explanation for it at all. However it comes about, it is certain as death and taxes, we will all deal with illness and sickness and disease and brokenness and weakness in our lives. Now, when that weakness comes... If we don't have the right perspective, if we are not able to see it the right way, that weakness, that illness doesn't just wear down our bodies. It can wear down our souls. I'm sure many of you have seen people struggle with weakness, the toll that it has taken on their lives. Or maybe you've had something you've struggled with, the toll that it's taken on you. It can defeat you in your life. It can change you. Now, because of this toll, I want to talk about how we have the proper perspective of healing in our lives. How do we properly view it? So that when the time comes, and the time will come, that we have to struggle with illness and weakness in our lives, that we will not be defeated, but that we will embody what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4. That we do not lose heart that oh, our outer self is wasting away, that our inner self is being renewed day by day. For we will know that this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. And I should have said 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I know one of you will say that to me afterwards. I'll fix that now. All right, so let's begin this journey in Acts chapter 3. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, about three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate, which was called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those who were going into the temple courts. All right, so as we see our story, Peter and John are going to the temple because in those days, there was appointed times that everybody came together and prayed. They came at three o'clock in the afternoon. And then before you went into the temple, there was this gate called Beautiful. This is kind of an artist's rendering of what it looked like. The historian Josephus said it was 75 feet tall, 60 feet wide. It literally took 20 men to open and close it. Now, this wasn't the only gate that led in, but it was the most beautiful. It was decorated with gold and other decorations. So people preferred to go through it because they thought it represented represented the favor of God, right? Now we'll see today that our favor of God is not represented by beauty, but by our weakness. 
And on their way to the temple, as they go through this gate called Beautiful, Peter and John come across a man, and he's begging for money. And he was lame from birth, which means at the very, very least, he did not have the ability to walk. And so his friends, his family would carry them every day, and he would beg. Now, in our present day, we almost feel walk awkward when we pass by somebody who is begging for food or for money. But in these times, it was common for people to beg, especially at places of worship. And in Jewish culture, it was highly, highly regarded to provide for those who could not work themselves so that they would not go hungry. And as a side note, it's a good reminder for us to be generous to those in need. As as, uh, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 42, give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. All right, back to the main note. So we have this man sitting here and he's asking for help and that brings us to verse three. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and he began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So we see another example of miracles in the Bible. Now for some, when they read stories like this of these miracles, they'd be like, eh, come on. Did that really happen? Did that really take place? They'll get hung up on that. But as Pastor Tim Keller points out, to believe in a God that created everything down to the extreme complexity of our DNA and not to wholeheartedly believe in the possibility of miracles, it's just unreasonable. It's inconsistent. In other words, if there's a God who can do all this, then why can't he fix something that is broken? For us to say that miracles are not possible, we would have to go to every instance of every miracle all throughout history and disprove every one. And this is the exact point that Peter is about to make to the crowd, that with Jesus, miracles are very possible. Verse 11, while the man held on to Peter and John, I'm sure in extreme thankfulness, all the people were astonished and they came running to the place called Solomon's Colonnade. Now that was a shaded area inside the temple because it got really hot there. Still gets really hot there. And so when it would get to the hottest part of the day, they would go into the shaded area. And when Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us if by our own power, our own godliness, we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which you can all read about in the book of Genesis, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one, and you asked that murderer to be released to you, speaking of Barabbas. 
You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. And by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know has made strong, it is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you all can see. In other words, Peter's pretty much, let me sum this up. He says, look, you shouldn't be amazed. Jesus told you this is who he was. You killed him anyway. God raised him from the dead. And by his spirit, this is the power that is now made to available to all who believe. He said, don't be surprised that Jesus has the power to heal. And that should bring you hope this morning. Because as we read in Hebrews 13, 18, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and what a church? Forever. So the same power to heal back then is available to heal today and every day until the Lord comes again. That means he has the power to heal right now. And so whatever you're going through, that should give you hope. Now, I think one of the questions that I've come across And this is a question that actually prevents some from pursuing God anymore is is if Jesus, if God has the power to heal everybody, then why doesn't he heal everybody? You may ask this question yourself. And I think it's a good question. It is a valid question. If you had a God who has all the power in the world and you don't use it, he's not using it to do something you think is right, you're going to wonder why. We've all seen somebody go through something really hard and you wished God would heal them and he doesn't. And you're left in wondering, why does God not answer? Why does he not heal if he has the power to do it? The truth is, at the end of the day, nobody can answer this question. And if they say they can, they're lying. Because nobody knows the mind of God. I'm okay with that. Because if there is a God that exists who created everything, then it is reasonable to believe that there are certain things that he does that you will not understand. If you understand that everything God does does do and does not do, then you might as well be God yourself. Now, I have several thoughts on why he doesn't heal from time to time, but I have one that I want to focus on that I I think is specific to our story today. And that's this, that sometimes, in fact, you could say all the time, that God has a greater purpose for our weakness than healing us. He has a greater purpose for our weakness than just to heal us. Let me show you what I mean. In chapter four, next chapter, we'll talk about next week, we learned that this man had been lame for 40 years, four decades. Now, it doesn't say this in the Bible, but I'm gonna guess based on human nature, time from time, he had asked God to heal him. You cannot be lame for 40 years and not pray or wish or hope that your legs would work. But for 40 years, complete silence. Nothing, nothing. But what this man did not know was that these 40 years of weakness was building to a moment. 
a moment that God had ordained. I mean, look again here at verse 9 and 10. It says, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate, called beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. They were filled with wonder and amazement. Why? Because they knew the dude. They knew him. This was the same guy that they passed day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. There was like no question, this is the guy who has lived a completely hopeless life in terms of being lame, and he's now, he's healed. He's not, we don't pass him anymore. He's walking around. This is why they're astonished. I wonder how this story would have played out differently if God had like chosen to heal the guy like one day after becoming lame or like one week. Lord, peace see me. Okay. Would have anyone noticed? Would there have been a need for this sermon that Peter was about to give? Probably not. At least not to this degree. But because all people had seen him all this time, they took notice of him. It impacted them. And now because of this, because of these 40 years leading up to this, they were about to have their lives changed for all of eternity. I mean, have you ever considered that the negative in your life, God may allow to stay there because it's going to work for a greater purpose? I mean, how would it change our view of our struggles, of our weaknesses, if we considered that maybe God wants to use them, use it to cause other people to take notice? Because he wants to do something greater in their lives, and he's going to do it through your weakness. How would that change your perspective? Now, I think that the appropriate question that follows this up was, well, what could that greater purpose be? Verse 19, he says, repent. Peter says, this is Jesus who healed him. Repent, change your life and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. You see, the point of this miracle was not to heal the man from being lame. The point of this miracle was to see people put their faith in Jesus Christ. The point of this miracle was to reveal Jesus Christ. And I think and I believe that in the end, this is the purpose of all of our weaknesses. It's to reveal Jesus. All throughout the Bible, it is when people are weak that they are calling out to God to save them. It is when his power is shown. Now, don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean that God is cold or numb to our suffering. Jesus lived on earth. He went through suffering, died on the cross. He knows the anguish of suffering. The scripture tells us that God is compassionate. He longs to see us healed. But God also knows Physical healing is not what we really need. It's not what this world really needs. Because physical suffering, if Jesus is who he says he is, is temporary. It will end. It ends. It has a stop point. No matter how extreme it is, it will end. 
And I believe that scripture tells us that God is more concerned with the weakness, with the suffering that will never end. And that is the sin that separates us from God. Like in Luke chapter four, you remember Luke chapter four, Jesus, he's sitting in a house and he's, he's, he's teaching to a bunch of people. And so you'll remember the story. And a bunch of people, a few friends, they bring their buddy who is lame and carry him in on a mat. And what happens? You can't get in the house, right? So what do they do? They climb on top of the house and, and roofs in those days are made of mud and straw and stuff. You could take them apart way easier. And they rip the hole. They created a sunlight for free of charge. Created a sunlight and they lower the man down. And so, and then, and Jesus comes down and they bring the man. Instead of saying, be healed, get up and walk. What does Jesus say? He says, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. As if Jesus is saying, you came here to have your legs healed. Let me show you what you really need. You need your soul healed. In chapter four next week, we'll talk about this. Through this healing and Peter's preaching, it says at least 5,000 people came to realize that Jesus Christ was their Lord and Savior. A man spent 40 years lame in his life, and in return, 5,000 people would now spend eternity with Jesus Christ. You cannot tell me that that man, one day in heaven, if Jesus said to him, do you, I'll give you those 40 years again and another 5,000 would come to his life. You cannot tell me he would say he would take those 40 years in an instant because suffering is temporary. Don't let this pass you by. Even if you're not suffering right now, it will come. You see, when we realize that God can use our temporary suffering to spread the gospel, it changes things. It brings us hope. Because we take our eyes off our suffering and we put them on our Savior. And this is where God wants our hope. Too many of us live life hoping in a cure. We hope for a cure. And Jesus says, no, place your hope in me. Put your hope in Jesus and not in a cure. Because if your hope is in a cure, then your joy, your, your hope, it will rise. Your confidence will rise and fall in the cure. But if your hope is in Jesus, then you're never let down. A cure is never guaranteed, but Jesus always is. Now, this doesn't mean that God won't heal you or he cannot heal you. But the point of putting your hope in Jesus is saying, look, yes, God could cure me, but even if he doesn't, I will praise his name. Even if he doesn't, I will praise his name. Can you say that this morning in whatever suffering and weakness you have gone through, that even if he does not heal you, you will praise his name. And you can say this because you realize that your suffering could be serving an eternal purpose. Well, actually, it always is serving an eternal purpose, if nothing else, just to bring you closer, to cause you to rely on God more than you already do. Classic examples, Paul, 2 Corinthians 12. He has some thorn in his flesh, some ailment. We don't know what it is, but he says, God, take it away from me. I don't want this anymore. What's God's reply? My grace is sufficient for you. God says, my power is made perfect in your weakness. 
So Paul's reply was like, oh, wow. I didn't think about it like that, God. And he goes, so he says, therefore, I will boast all more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest on me. And this doesn't mean that you celebrate your pain. You don't throw a party for your suffering. But it gives you hope because when your healing doesn't come in the time frame that you think it should come, you, you don't get defeated because you say, you know what? I wish I was healed, but I know God can use this. He can be using this for something. I may not see what it is. I may not see it for 40 years. Hey, I may never see it in this, in this lifetime, but he can use this. He can use this. This isn't beyond him. It changes your perspective. You handle your suffering differently. You talk about it differently. It doesn't steal your joy. It doesn't steal your hope. I'll tell you right now, when people see your joy in the Lord through your suffering, it speaks volumes. Because everybody can praise a God when everything is good, when the money's coming in and everything's right with the world and we're healthy and strong. But nothing speaks louder about a commitment to a God and a perspective of someone who has joy that rises above their pain, above their suffering. Because no other worldview can give you this. No other worldview can give you, you're an atheist, agnostic, you believe in anything else. Nothing else can give you hope in your suffering. And I get people that'll say, hey, if there's God exists, why is there suffering in this world? And I said, you know what? Imagine what suffering would be like if God didn't exist. Only Jesus can offer this. So put your hope in Jesus and not in a cure. So with this in mind, I have two encouragements I want to give you this morning for those who need healing from God. And that'll be one of us every, eventually. To find healing, you've got to do two things, in my opinion. Two things that stick out to me anyway. The first one is you've got to admit you're weak. You have to admit that you're weak. Like I said earlier in my prayer, we're in this society where you have it in you. You're strong enough. You can do it. It is all a lie, and we all know it. There are all things that come into our life that is too big for us. The only difference are those who are willing to admit it and those who keep hiding it. And when you don't admit it and you hide it, what happens? It just gets worse. It eats at who you are. It prevents you from growing. It affects all of your relationships. It reminds me of the dentist. I have horrible, horrible dentist problems. I've had horrible dental issues all my life. Uh, um, some genetics, some really bad self-control when it comes to Twinkies and cupcakes and things like that. And when I and when, I, and when I became a young adult, I realized I had the power not to go to the dentist if there was a problem bugging me. Because I'm an adult. I could just not go. What happens when you don't go when you have dental issues? Just gets worse. And all the dentists yelled, amen. <laughs> it is the same with the weakness in our lives, the weakness that you have if you are not willing to admit it, if you're not willing to confess it, if you try to shove it away, if you just try to hide it, it will get worse. Some of you are living that right now. And everyone around you feels the effects of it. And after you admit it, 
So you're able to say, I, I'm weak, I'm hurting, I'm broken. I need help. The next step you take is you actually ask for that help. You do it a couple ways. One, you say, God, this is too much for me. This is too much for me. I'm too weak for this. I need you. I need your spirit. I need your strength. Help me, help me find healing. Help me be stronger if that healing's not going to come. And then you admit that weakness to other people. You admit, you tell other people in your lives, mature Christian believers, that you need help. Because this is how you get help in life. You ask for help. I mean, think about how 911 works. Do, do random paramedics and firemen just go door to door, knock, knock, knock. Hey, is there anybody hurting here? Anybody needs to be resuscitated? No, we're good. Let's go to the next house. No, you call the phone and say, I need some help. Someone get over here. And it's the same way in our lives. We are not meant to live this life alone. We need people to come alongside us and help us become stronger. And what's beautiful about this is that when we are able to expose our weakness to other people, they help us become stronger. Then we, in return, get to help other people become stronger. I get people who thank me all the time and say, Jeff, thanks for how you've helped me. And all I can do, and other than praising God that I could have a role, is think back to all the people that helped me become stronger. But I had to admit my weakness. And there was a good many years where I was not willing to do that. And this is why it's so important to understand the grace of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved, not by works. It's a gift of God so that no one can boast. Anytime that we are not willing to admit our weakness, where we can't tell other people about our hurts and our pains and our suffering and our struggling, it's, it's a, it's a, it is a reflection of us not fully embracing God's grace because still in our minds, we don't want to be embarrassed. We don't want them to think less of us. We don't want them to look down on us because somehow deep down, we're still putting our identity and our strength and our worth in what we can present to other people. But when you understand and embrace the grace of God, you realize that's all trash. That all of those things that you used to put your stock in as being uh, uh, an important and love-worthy individual is trash. You realize the only thing that makes you who you are, who makes you beautiful, who makes you worthy is Jesus. And when you realize that it's only Jesus that does this, then you don't have to fake it anymore because it doesn't matter how good off you are or how bad off you are, you are still a son or a daughter of God. And the beautiful thing is those moments when you're able to say, look, I need help in this area. You make it okay for other people to need help. Man, if that person can come out with that and share that, then I can share this. And it's infectious, but in a good way. Where in your life do you need to ask for help? You know, and this goes beyond just physical problems. It goes beyond just feeling defeated and crushed by cancer or disease or, or whatever physical issue. It transfers to our emotional struggles. Man, I don't, 
How many marriages are out there right now? They are struggling, they are crumbling, they are hanging on by a thread because they're not willing to admit that they are weak and hurting and they need help in that marriage. How many of us come in here on Sunday morning, we put on a facade, we put on the smile, but we're hurting and we're broken inside because we're not willing to ask for help? One of the things I love about the church is it's a hospital. The church is a hospital full of broken and hurting people who are coming to see the great physician, Jesus Christ. And the great thing is by the power of the Holy Spirit, we all have been equipped to be nurses and doctors and and therapists to help each other heal. Right now, there could be somebody sitting in this room who God has appointed, you don't even know it yet, you guys have never talked once, who's going to help you heal in your life. You don't even know it. It's a beautiful thing about the church. But it starts with you saying, I need help. Oh, there's such freedom to be found in needing help. Where do you need to ask for help in your life? Where do you need to embrace the grace of God that gives you worth and love and meaning and be able to say, I need help in this area.